Hello everyone, this is Joshua S. Johnson of VisualFreelancer.com. Today I would like to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness, the new motion picture coming out that is highly anticipated by fans worldwide. The continuation of the film franchise introduces a bad guy character that has some audiences mystified about what the identity will be. I think that it will be a pleasant surprise, but from my analysis and point of view of the character, I think that it's going to be an introduction of the human-looking hybrid Klingons as seen in the original series, Star Trek Enterprise, and Deep Space Nine. Abrams, at least in the last movie, and the attention to detail that the new production team has been giving the overall mythos of the Star Trek universe, they have been giving amazing nods and have been keeping very true to a lot of elements of the original series but being able to bring it into a more modern context and audience while still maintaining the connections to the original. It was the crossover of the Spock character played by Leonard Nimoy, a voice of reason uh, in a way for the new characters, a voice of wisdom and a connection for those of us who enjoyed the original series and everything, every franchise that had spiraled out from there to include the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. When looking at the new film franchise, we're able to continue along a character storyline that was established in 1966 and then ended in 1969, taking 10 years of a breather from any type of visual media, and then to be revived in 1979 and then continued into the early 90s every few years. For fans of the original series, the film franchise was great because when you have the characters that first you know, were broadcast out in three seasons and then the show goes away and then the popularity of the show maintains and so for ten years there are many people wondering what the next adventures of Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Scotty, Sulu are going to be. So in 1979 the motion picture comes out it introduces a wide range of new possibilities and amazing special effects. So by 79, after an absence of 10 years for these very popular characters, seeing them every few years, um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, Star Trek III, Search for Spock, Voyage Home, Final Frontier, Undiscovered Country, and then finally Generations, that was fine because for the core fans, the very beginning fans. Um, those those before my time. Uh, I was born in 76. There were fans of Star Trek 10 years before I was even born. These core fans are the ones that were responsible for the revival of the franchise in 79. So keeping the characters in the view of the audience, continuing their story a uh, little bit by little bit, an hour and a half here, a couple hours there, was great. Star Trek The Next Generation in uh, 1987 comes out and it introduces again into the popular culture a weekly storyline of Star Trek. Now with the weekly as opposed to the every few years continuation of a storyline based in the same fictional universe, what you have is new challenges in being able to fill in the tapestry of what the surrounding galaxy is, the universe of Star Trek is, to be able to explore aspects of the Federation and the aspects of technology and how they've increased since the original series. These things were very interesting, but they were also able to be told weekly. 
and for seven years. So by the time the big handover happens between fading the original series cast out, which, in my opinion, was a mistake for the Star Trek franchise, because so many options and possibilities existed to spin off stories from the original series characters that didn't, and that left it left a lot of fans of uh, original core fans hollow in a way. With the next generation, very popular because you got to see and catch up with them every week. Um, by the time the handover happened in Star Trek Generation, the television franchise had been only off the air for less than a year, or about a year. So the next generation's story and excitement was still very fresh uh, when Generations was on the screen. And after Generations, the spin-offs <coughs> that had started around that time, like Deep Space Nine, were able to bring in new fans, and also uh, for hardcore fans... Um, to be able to continue the storyline of that universe. Deep Space Nine was wonderful uh, for me to watch because it painted something uh, unique uh, in Star Trek. And it was able to give probably the best nods to the original series core storyline um, that, I, that I was able to observe uh, until uh, later Enterprise was able to bring about elements of the original series and give nods to the original series which fans had been missing, um, a lot of fans, core fans, had been missing, um, that had first tuned in with the original series storyline. When it came to the film franchise, First Contact came out, and it very excited. People were very excited to see First Contact. It was the first standalone Next Generation movie. It was a wonderful storyline. It had a perfect combination of action and science techno babble and the ability to show the characters in even under extraordinary circumstance show a little bit of more relaxed comedic way reflective of how you saw them in the series and even with the lack of the Enterprise D and having to get used to a new character in the show and for the next generation which would be the Enterprise E the film version of the next generation Enterprise it was a beautiful story, and it capped on so many elements of the series that fans were massively excited. Insurrection was visually exciting. It did have um, amazing interpersonal uh, relationships shown onto the screen, a continuation of what we all came to enjoy within the weekly series. But the fans were left a little bit... Um, hollow with Insurrection because so much time had started passing between the weekly exposure to the characters and the Next Generation storyline to the every few years um, continuation of the characters. And one of the difficulties with Insurrection was in the overall Star Trek storyline, um, it boils down to one admiral who was making a backwater deal with uh, some, some really bad dudes and they were, they were, for the Admiral's point of view, it was because it was going to help the Federation against the Dominion. Not a plot line befitting to the amazing cast and the, you know, the overall Star Trek universe. They should have been in the center um, of, of this universe, not a side plot. And while the cast was a game, 
while the effects were pretty cool. Star Trek fans, those who were used to the next generation that didn't particularly watch Deep Space Nine or get into the Dominion storyline, or even know that the Federation was, during the time of insurrection, in a conflict, would have been a little bit lost at the plotline, and why particularly Starfleet would be acting in this method. And hardcore fans, people that were into Deep Space Nine also, we wanted to see Picard and Riker and Troy and Crusher and even the other Crusher and Geordi and Worf and Data and even occasionally Spot. You go into the big action, the the thing that was fitting for the Enterprise being the center stage of the events, not, not a side adventure. The side adventures were great when you can tell it every week and then finally get up to the big Borg Dukeroo for the finale, but for the season finale, but you, for the cast and for the enterprise and for that it was it was a story that was it was a good story people wanted to see more people wanted to see weekly after insurrection of course nemesis had come out and by this point so many other storylines had taken place in the star trek universe everything with deep space nine had either played out or was about to end voyager was the the same thing that left fans a little bit shrugging. For Nemesis, unlike Insurrection, they also did try to put the characters back into the forefront of Federation affairs and Starfleet affairs and the political spectrum where they should be. Uh, Fans had become removed from the characters in a way. Uh, Those who flocked to the theater for generations and for First Contact and a little bit for Insurrection most fans were pretty aware that B4 will eventually be Data again, Catra style. Picard really didn't want to leave the Enterprise. Riker goes off and, and does stuff on the Titan. Whisper of an adios to fans. And it was an unfitting goodbye. I could have used more um, of the Next Generation cast. I'm uh, absolutely positive that there are millions of people like me that would flock to whatever channel would actually show a mini-series starring the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager cast, do a little mix-up, shake-a-roo, a little gumbo, and audiences would flock to it. They're hungry for the continuation of those characters and storyline because so much was groomed over so long, but the spin-offs and the franchises went out in so many different directions that it was hard to be a core fan in terms of those who had started with the original series, with the core idea, with the core characters, with the all of the information of the galaxy in front of them as opposed to behind them. These type of things were important to the core audience. And so when you looked at what happened to Star Trek later, you would find there are TOS fans, TNG fans, DS9 fans, VOY fans, and ENT fans. And if you know what any of those abbreviations mean, you're a fan. Or you're actually a family member of a fan, you know a fan, you've been around a fan. Um, These type of things are, uh, with the franchises, are important to know because it sort of took Star Trek in so many different directions. And during the time that it was moseying out into these new ideas, there was a lot of people that wanted to see uh, what Kirk and Spock were up to. Even though it had been established Kirk had crocused on a planet... I think that the natural um, continuation of the original series storyline after Generations was William Shatner's books. I mean, uh, The Ashes of Eden was 
amazingly well written. It was an awesome insight to the character of Captain Kirk. Um, it was a fantastic study of like Starfleet political and uh, Starfleet and Federation political intrigue. It created this gray area of the galaxy that we had seen little hints and bits of in the original series and and shady places in Star Trek three. Um, it had comedy. It it was William Shatner is as a person who has worked on Star Trek as an actor, as a director, as a writer for the fiction books, William Shatner seems to have an amazing love of uh, that franchise and that character, and it shines through his fiction. Um, the Ashes of Eden and Star Trek V did two uh, amazing things for the original series characters. It actually broadened them from traditionally what their views were on the ship. Um, uh, for Sulu, you can pretty much tell that you know there were some things in the original series that were bringing out his character and a little bit of his background. But in the movies, you found out he was born in San Francisco. And you also find out in the movies that he likes to hike with Chekhov occasionally. Really? When did that start? Well, I guess it did. Fans at one point probably imagined that during shore leave time, these people would pair up and buddy up and go off and have fun or camp or go to wherever they'd go and had their own personal lives. And William Shatner was one of the only people in like the original series that was able to, and first in Star Trek V and then in The Ashes of Eden, actually show the, these characters' aspects with... Um, I think a little bit better of a human filter, a realistic filter on them, because I uh, because of how he painted them on their off time, or even <laughs> even how their reactions were in certain scenarios. Uh, for example, um, going into a uh, a certain gray area, trying to get disruptors for the Enterprise, uh, which they've <laughs> gotten out of. It, the The whole storyline is is awesome, and. Um, when reading it years and years ago, I wanted that to be the next movie. Really, I wanted Ashes of Eden to be the next movie. Um, I understood Generations, and the great thing about the Ash, the Generations movie and Ashes of Eden was you could take the content of Ashes of Eden and it would look just like the natural... It, it would look like the natural uh, successor to generations for the original series storyline and I'm really happy um, as a fan as a Star Trek fan and a fan of a lot of different science fiction but you know Star Trek's been around a while I'm really glad Shatner did that because it gave fans like me and like millions of other people insight into characters we were hungry for we wanted more Sulu we wanted more McCoy I did and it shows up now, doesn't it? After Nemesis, <clears throat> after the television franchise fans seem to disconnect from the next generation storyline um, for the films, and then Enterprise had gone a wonderful four seasons. And I'll say that of all the series, and I, you know, I started with the original series, and then it was Next Generation, and then Deep Space Nine. I didn't catch much of Voyager. I was in the Air Force uh, at the time, so I wasn't watching TV as much uh, when I was working um, at the Eglin Air Force Base Fire Department. 
Um, but Enterprise, I thought, was amazing because of what they were trying to accomplish and how they connected it with the First Contact storyline. Even in the very beginning, having James Cromwell as Ephraim Cochran give the motivational speech to the crew created a absolute perfect connection with the Next Generation storyline, but it also gave that filling in of what Earth and everything was pre-Federation. And to introduce certain elements of it and exploration and you know, I think they I think they might have tried you know, phasers I think might have showed up a little too quickly. Maybe some maybe some other type of lower, lower end tech, but I can understand why they wanted to bring that connection with stuff that would happen later. Um but Enterprise also um was able to show in a more confined environment elements of these crews working together and to be able to remove a lot of the convenience that you saw even in the 60s show um, with the original series and especially with all the next generation no replicators no no tractor beam in the beginning um, nothing worked um, they were firing tor- missiles which I thought was awesome um, little tracking missiles so to be able to see like human technology of what we know it today in a galactic setting um, and based up against other um, alien uh, races, uh, as shown in Enterprise, I thought it was amazing. And um, Scott Bakula's portrayal of Captain Archer um, became quickly my favorite. Um, before then, it was it was Cisco, and before that, it was Kirk. Um, I, I dug Picard, but um, <clears throat> the Enterprise D might have been a little bit too cushy. The characterization that Bakula was able to give Archer was something that I admired greatly because as a combination of an engineer who had something to do with the creation of the ship that at that point the character is commanding. It's an amazing um, nature, double nature, and it gives the lead um, the personal connection to the most important character of any Star Trek franchise, the Enterprise, the ship. So unlike Captain Kirk, which um, you know, took command of the Enterprise early on and rode out years on it and became name associated with the ship, or Picard, who you know did had a had a large ship, many down the line, and was commanding that version of it and was able to be a great explorer and diplomat. Having Archer as somebody whose uh, you know family connection was responsible for the very engine that they're using and to be someone who had had a personal life experience most of their life experience working on or around that vessel or the development of that vessel gave uh, that connection a personal connection to the ship uh, for the character which made him by far my favorite plus the decision-making aspects Um, With Enterprise, unlike a lot of the previous series, they were able to be a little edgier, be able to bring more real aspects to um, Star Trek and make the connection, first connections really, to what you would find in modern day technology, today's 21st century technology, to the connections of what Star Trek technology would be considered. And these are elements that are now showing up in the new film franchise. Now, as I had said before, the core story revolved around Kirk, Spock, Uhura, Chekhov, Sulu, all, all of the original series characters. And after all of these new characters, all these new franchises had run their course, getting back to that core story 
in 2009 was of prime importance to the franchise. The reason being is because unlike all of the different spin-offs and and uh, variations of story and and uh, the decades that the original series Next Generation Deep Space Nine Voyager and Enterprise had inhabited the 2009 storyline gives that wide open feel again the wide open era of possibility of where the storyline can progress it it disconnects all of the intricacies of what you find in the original franchises and it has little dots, maybe little connections, like a Cardassian sunrise is apparently a drink, but it doesn't put the characters in the middle of subplots. It doesn't put the characters in, um, you know, in a world that is unfamiliar. To a lot of people, it's very familiar. So, with all of these factors in mind, with um, noticing that the new production crew for the rebooted film franchise has given a lot of care and attention to what the core concepts and what made the original Star Trek so popular. Their attention to detail on those matters have led me to think that the main bad guy, played by a person whose name unfortunately I can't pronounce, so I'll call him Benny C, is, in my opinion, going to be a human hybrid Klingon as seen in the original series Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. For the television, for Star Trek television, a revitalization of the television series is inevitable. There is of course a question about what it could be. Would it be something that continues in the Next Generation storyline? The, the original franchise storyline? Will it be something that goes to a prequel of a prequel times before Enterprise? Will it go into other areas of the Star Trek galaxy? Will it explore, say, a typical day of a Breen operation? All of these ideas are possible. The Star Trek universe is so massive that stories can be plucked from events, time periods, alien races, characters, um, from all over a wide spectrum of storyline bubblegum that can be chewed into something uh, amazing. Anything is possible when it comes to uh, being able to relay a story visually now. And so, with Star Trek, which direction in television will they go? Well, I have two thoughts on this. The first is that I would not like to see the next generation cast simply vanish. I mean, there is, and it was obvious in Deep Space Nine and Voyager, there is vested interest in fans of Star Trek The Next Generation and the original Star Trek franchises to see where the characters go. Titan was being groomed, and a continuation of the storyline with the characters of William Riker and Deanna Troy being able to say howdy to the audiences each week and bring back some of the old characters that were uh, enjoyed in the Next Generation storyline, but also to expand that galaxy further. And unlike the film franchise of the Next Generation, 
be able to engage in that universe weekly as opposed to the occasional catch up and how do every few years. Missing the opportunity with bringing the story of the Titan out is almost reflective of how the industry didn't know how to deal with the original series continuation storyline with Sulu as the captain of the Excelsior. The original series cast after the film franchise, they just pastured them. There was more stories in them. There was more stories in those characters. The actors, the energy that they've put into conventions and fans and dealing with fanatics is energy that they could have absolutely, if given the opportunity, been placed into the Star Trek universe. Uh, this broad spectrum of stories and characters and alien races and technologies and possibilities that had been groomed and created uh, since, the since 1966. So Titan, if I had a $500 million to throw down on creating two science fiction television shows for Star Trek, this is what they would be. The first, to continue the next generation storyline, and the 24th century storyline, 25th century storyline, with the next generation cast through Jonathan Franks and Marina Sirtis and stories about the Titan. Show a day in the life of Riker and Troy and be able to bring viewers back to a weekly exposure of the elements that made Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager so great. And with these storylines, you can bring in everybody that is from the franchise from before. So it would be awesome to see what happened to Cisco. It would be great to uh, be able to catch up with Neelix. What's Neelix up to? He's probably cooking somewhere, I imagine. Um, you know, even if you're not a fan of the franchises or one of the franchises um, that these characters are from, you can be absolutely a fan of them when they're represented in this different context, a gumbo of the elements of the old franchises and presented in a weekly series or a mini series everybody from Sulu to Riker can be shown and it would be amazing fans would love it fans would thank you fans would would go to conventions even more in droves there would even be new types of costumes that they would knit on their free time the continuation of a Star Trek television franchise while natural should really go into like a couple of directions. Now they're going to do great. This is just my fan two cents. The next Star Trek television show that I would put $500 million in if I had it lying around would be based on the mythic XCV-330. The picture in the background of some of the Star Trek media. It first appeared in Star Trek The Motion Picture as listed as one of the Enterprises. And in Enterprise, thankfully, they put a picture of the same ship in the background of Club 602 during uh, one of the episodes. Not a lot is known about um, that particular vessel. It was, however, known it didn't seem to be a Starfleet ship. With a picture of it being an Enterprise, it suggested that that vessel existed before the events of Enterprise. There are no tales of its magnificent voyages. Was it a tragedy? See? 
a lot of stories can be picked up from even a mysterious little picture that has shown up in Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek Enterprise and has been tossed out um, to uh, the internet uh, searches everywhere. Now, the truth behind the XCV-330 production-wise is the team needed a picture on the motion picture set to fill in this beautiful display um, for the Enterprise rec room. And that picture was available. It was going to be a, from what I understand, the XCV-330 was going to be part of a, another science fiction franchise called Starship. And it was about, um, from what I've read... Um, a vessel that was hyper, you know, had a hyper-intelligent crew on board, etc., etc. Well, elements of that storyline can also be manipulated or rearranged, and a story of the XCV-330, a private enterprise, a civilian enterprise, that existed before um, the NX-01, the unusual story of that ship, I think, would be an amazing continuation of the um, the Star Trek lore and the Star Trek uh, community. Other possibilities and little one shoots. Obviously, the anything involving the prehistory of Romulus and Vul- <laughs> Romulans and Vulcans can be um, rearranged and presented in almost a fantastical, a fantasy type of miniseries or a fantasy type of one shoot mini episode, Ewok style, Battle for Endor style. One Romulan two-part miniseries about how they happen to wind up in the middle of damn Italy on their way fleeing the planet Vulcan and, of course, picking up a couple of cultural references from the human race before they depart to the stars and find Romulus and Remus. Again, there are so many stories in Star Trek lore that it's a pick-and-choose universe, and the producers and creative staff at CBS and Bad Robot and all of the people, Paramount, and all those who are involved in Star Trek now have a amazing playground of possibilities to run through. And my hopes as a fan, as just a person out there who enjoys almost all of the, all of the stuff that has come out um, with Star Trek... Um, I would like to see, personally, a Titan-centered storyline with uh, with the characters of Riker and Troy as sort of our our weekly hosts, and and a more serious Abrams-esque, mysterious, spooky, action-oriented, and psychologically intense style. A story about the XCV three three zero, and. Maybe something that's not a warp drive. Fold space. They wind up in another galaxy. Stories are endless in the Star Trek universe. But it's uh, wonderful to see that the people that are behind the decision-making from the 2009 movie and what I see of the 2013 movie is that they have a respect and competence for those who have worked on the franchise before to bring about something amazing that is drawing in fans in droves and delighting longtime fans like myself. That's my podcast for March 28th, 2013, Star Trek Geek episode number one. Thank you for listening. <laughs>